It's time for Conversations with MIT Medical, care for the community. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. Welcome to Conversations with MIT Medical. I'm Melanie Cole, and I invite you to listen in as we discuss perfectionism. Joining me is Dr. Mary Ann Kodadust. She's a clinical psychologist at MIT Student Mental Health and Counseling Services. Dr. Kodadust, it's a pleasure to have you join us again, and this is really such an interesting topic. Tell us a little bit about the definition of perfectionism. What really is it? Thanks, Melanie, for having me back. Perfectionism, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's defined as a disposition to regard anything short of perfection as unacceptable. A more clinical definition of perfectionism is offered by Dr. David Burns, who defines a perfectionist as someone whose standards are high beyond reach or reason and who strains compulsively and unremittingly toward impossible goals and who measures their own worth entirely in terms of productivity and accomplishment. Wow, that was an excellent definition, Dr. Kodadust. And as we try to be perfectionists, or we magnify our own fears, and we're looking at this sort of from above, tell us why this is a problem. Why is trying to achieve perfectionism, why can it be a problem for some people? Well, Melanie, just as the definition suggested, being a perfectionist is exhausting. I like to use metaphors because it helps us see more clearly abstract concepts. So what I tend to tell students is this. If your academic journey is a marathon, perfectionism is like running full speed at the start and being too afraid to slow down to take an occasional slice of orange or drink a cup of water and only stopping when you have cramps or you're really thirsty. So what happens to such a runner? Their performance is choppy at best, right? Running in fits and spurts, low chance of getting into a healthy rhythm or even enjoying the run highly miserable, and a high chance of hurting themselves or having to even drop out of the marathon altogether. So what I'm saying is this, that perfectionism may offer an immediate assurance. If I'm running at full speed, I can feel assured that I'm giving this race my all. But it often leads to inconsistent performance, self-criticality, low motivation, burnout, and ultimately reducing our chances of success. Wow, that's so interesting. Doctor, so do we know why some people are perfectionists? What causes this anxiety? And while you're telling us that, is this considered a mental illness that's similar to OCDs? Actually, Melanie, research has shown that there are three ways we can become susceptible to perfectionism. One is a biological component, which is why you're bringing up this OCD piece. Perfectionism has a genetic component, and it tends to be prevalent in families that run high on anxiety. So this is the evidence we're talking about, about OCD or generalized anxiety or even social anxiety. Students can often identify another family member who's a worrier or who's reserved or strict or risk-averse in some way. But that's not enough. There's also an environmental component, and that's usually when their families or peers or teachers who have modeled or directly communicated a value system based on achievement. 
And then finally, the third component is a behavioral reinforcement. So if our evolutionary survival, Melanie, rests on our instinct to listen to our body's alarm system, and let's say you're high on anxiety, so your alarm system goes off a little bit more often. So that's the genetic predisposition we were talking about. So imagine if you're a child running high on anxiety and you look around to identify the danger in your environment as we are, our instinct is to do, it can actually lead that child then to assign various aspects of their environment as dangerous, whether that's how they perform socially or academically or musically or in sports or even their own body image. So these daily toils can actually start to feel dangerous. And the way that kids try to address that danger is they start to come up with some rules of engagement to make them feel more secure. And as they do, they're temporarily distracted from their own anxiety, which actually reinforces these rigid rules and these compulsive behaviors, which over time can even be rewarded because they also happen to succeed. So you can see that it can be a vicious cycle of what can lead, we can, what can start from a biological component can actually interact with particular kinds of environments and then become reinforced behaviorally. Well, they certainly can. I can see that. It makes so much sense. But how can we tell if we're being perfectionistic as opposed to really holding healthy high standards? How can we tell if this is normal or not? And I wonder this from myself and, and how I work and for my family. How do we know if it's normal, Dr. Kodadust? Well, we can assess the difference by paying attention to our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So in terms of thinking, are we focused on a task or what our performance on the task represents about us? Or are we assigning danger to an upcoming task? Do we use a lot of shoulds or have tos or need tos? Do we have a lot of rules about how something needs to be done? And then I would invite students to also pay attention to how they're feeling. Are you feeling anxious, overwhelmed, irritated at the prospect of approaching a task? And then also paying attention to our behaviors. Do we spend more time daydreaming about our accomplishment than actually working towards them? Do we vacillate between avoidance and overwork, procrastination and perseveration? These are all signal signals that we're being perfectionistic as opposed to having healthy high standards. Well, then what do you say to people who say, but it was because I was like this that I've been so successful, and why should I give up an approach that works? What's the difference between having useful perfectionism and unhealthy pressure? Melanie, this is very common and an understandable misconception. And my response is this, that correlation is not causation. There's no proof that perfectionism leads to success. And in fact, it often interferes with task completion. So what I invite MIT students to do is to be as vigorous a scientist in how they observe their impact of their perfectionism on their productivity as they do in observing other phenomenon. And when they do, they will often find that they've been successful while they were perfectionistic and often despite of it, and not because of it. Hmm, I can see that now. So 
Give us your best advice, Dr. Codaduced. What are some things that we can actually do to reduce our need for perfectionism? How can we let go of some of that need that we have? And how do we balance that need with our inner satiety to make ourselves feel like, yes, we've done our best and this is as good as it gets, but also be able to chill and expect that not everything is perfect, that the laundry is not done, that the floor has not been swept. Any of these things, how can we balance that? So what I often tell students is to not assign your standards as a way of assigning the role of reducing your anxiety because it doesn't work. And so instead of trying to push away anxiety by setting up these unrealistic expectations or a lot of rigid rules, sort of leaning into the anxiety and just noting it as it just being there instead of us having to do something about it. And what does that translate into? How do we approach our goals? Well, I ask students to avoid putting performance-based goals and thinking about an upcoming presentation or a test in terms of materials you need to learn as opposed to the grade you're supposed to get or in terms of the impression you want to make. The second advice I often give is to try to nestle a to-do list into a calendar that has other activities needing your time and attention. And this really helps because it sets limits and forces you to set a goal that's based in the reality of the time you have, as opposed to the ideal amount of time into each individual task. And then, of course, setting reasonable standards is hard when you're not used to doing it. So considering a context when determining your expectation, for example, if I have a cold or if I've stayed up the night before or I'm new to a particular academic field, those factors count and are important in considering what my goals are for the next couple of hours or days or weeks or months. And then, of course, I also ask students to look out for any sign of rigidity in standards or rules they set for themselves. Look out for shoulds and have tos and musts and nevers and replace them whenever possible with more appropriate words, more helpful words like I would like to or I will. And I invite students to try this on their own and if they have a hard time to not hesitate to get in touch with us because that's what we're there for. We can be reached at our phone number at 617-253-2916 or visit our website and look out for workshops on perfectionism. What a great episode this was and so educational and informative. Thank you so much, Dr. Codaduced, for joining us today. For more information on the MIT Student Mental Health and Counseling Services, please visit our website at medical.mit.edu slash mental health to get connected with one of our providers. That concludes this episode of Conversations with MIT Medical. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other MIT Medical podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.